At around 6 a.m. on October 25, 1986, a 25-year-old woman was abducted by a stranger at a bus stop, assaulted, raped, and sodomized, then dragged to two different locations where the assault continued. The assailant stole her wristwatch and broke her two front teeth. Miraculously, the victim survived and a rape kit was performed. However, in 1986, DNA testing was still in its infancy and serology offered little of probative value. The officer who eventually made the arrest approached Clarence Harrison, a man who had a previous conviction, as an accessory to a robbery involving a woman at a bus stop. When asked about the victim whom he knew from the neighborhood, Clarence said that if he heard anything, that he would forward that information to her family, not the police, an answer that seemed to annoy the officer. While fabricating a story about a confidential informant having seen Clarence selling the victim's wristwatch, that officer included Clarence in a photo lineup. The assailant was a stranger, and the victim knew Clarence, but she said that the assailant looked like Clarence. After some time and perhaps a great deal of pressure, she eventually identified Clarence and sealed his fate. With the advent of DNA testing and motions filed to finally uncover the truth, came reports that the rape kit had been destroyed, along with, it seems, Clarence's hope for relief from a life plus 40-year sentence for a crime he simply did not commit. This is Wrongful Conviction. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Today's story is the story of Clarence Harrison, sentenced to life in prison plus 40 years. I always wonder about what those extra 40 years are for. Is that you come back to life, you do another 40 years? It's all crazy. But sentenced to life plus 40 years in Georgia, the state of Georgia, for a crime he didn't commit. Clarence, before I introduce our other distinguished guest today, first of all, I just want to say welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And with us is Amy Maxwell. And Amy 
is a senior district attorney in the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. But before <laughs> before you jump to conclusions, she's actually the head of the Fulton County Conviction Integrity Unit and the former executive director of the Georgia Innocence Project. And what a resume that is. Amy, welcome to Wrongful Conviction. Hi, thanks for having me. And I read an incredible quote from you, Clarence, um, where you had said that And this is a direct quote. After a year or so in prison, you get burned out and you fall off into the system and you lose faith and your hope and you begin to believe you'll never get out. And that happened to me. Well, I had been in now a few years. First few years, I got strung out on trying to prove my innocence, but I got burnt out and uh, I kind of lost faith in the system and God and everything and just thought maybe with life sentence, 20 plus 20, you know, I was going to live and die in prison, you know, and I tried to, you know, accept that's where my life was going to be. So I shit the outside world out, cause I called it the so-called free world, and I called the prison life my life. That was the real world to me. It's always amazing to me when, when people like you are able to come out of that dark spiritual hole that you were in, and how you did it is an amazing part of the story. We're going to get to that, but let's go back to the beginning. So you born in Georgia. What was your childhood like? I was a pretty uh, decent young man growing up. I was a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout, you know. But as I got older in high school, I started doing drinking and gambling. So I became a composer gambling playing cards. I like to play poker, blackjack, whatever kind of gambling was. I just like to gamble. Sadly, say I think they come from because that's the only memory I have of my father who ran a bootleg house in a gambling house and got thrown out of school because I wasn't doing right in school. But I got married early, just turned 18, had two daughters. And my first wife, she had a, a daughter, so I had three girls. Well, that's a lot, especially for somebody at the at that young age. And uh, I had my own struggles with gambling and drinking as a kid, so I can relate to that. But I was very lucky to never uh, get into the type of serious trouble that you got into. From what I understand, some of the people you were hanging out with at the time got you into even more trouble when, when you were riding around in a car, unaware of their intentions, and one of them popped out of the car and robbed a woman at a bus stop. That was in 1978. I didn't commit that crime. I, a partner of mine did. I, I, I was with him. It's the same thing. Wait, that's starting to sound like you were wrongfully convicted, not once, but twice. Now, I, I ain't going to say I was wrongly convicted because I was actually with him. All I know, we were riding. Fashion stopped the car. I said, Fashion, what you stopping the car for? He said, Rick, see a lick. I said, man, y'all been not finna break in nobody's house. He said, no, nah, man, ain't no lick. There you go back there. And I look back. Rick stand up on the go in there late. I said, man, y'all get that stupid fool. And I get out the car, told Rick to get a butt back in the car. He turned the gun. They think, you know, all of them turned state. And I'm the only one went to prison. I get that you were with them. So technically, that does make you an accessory. But still, you tried to stop your friend, maybe even save that lady's life. I mean, there's a case to be made. That you- then your friends went and saved their own asses, turning state's witnesses and putting you in prison for almost six years and leaving you permanently on the radar of the local police. So now we fast forward to 1986. You were a 27-year-old young man, and this awful crime happens in DeKalb County, Georgia, also to a young woman at a bus stop. Amy, can you fill us in on the rest of the details? And a warning to our audience, this is hard to hear. 
It was the morning of October 25th, 1986. It was really early in the morning and the woman had just gotten a job at Grady Hospital, which was the large public hospital here in, in Fulton County in Atlanta, Georgia. And she was standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus. And it was dark outside and it was raining. A man walked across the street, walked past her, turned around, and she didn't actually see him come up, but he came up behind her, grabbed her from the back, drug her away from the bus stop. He ended up actually dragging her to three different locations where he assaulted her repeatedly. It was horrific, probably 45 minutes to an hour of being constantly abused. He'd abuse her one place, he'd drag her someplace else, assault her again. It was it was horrible. And he ended up hitting her in the face and knocking out some of her front teeth. He ends up leaving her. I don't know if he thought she was dead or what, but he left her and she's, you know, of course, completely nude. She tries to flag down a car. The first car just drives right by oh. her, but the second car does stop her. And, and help her. She ends up going into the hospital. They took a sexual assault kit, which of course ends up later being extremely important. And as far as how Clarence became a suspect, what the police said was that some confidential informant had told them that Clarence was trying to sell a woman's watch. And one of the very few things that the rapist took from this woman was her watch. So the police and court say that's how we got to Clarence because Clarence was trying to sell a woman's watch. Later, we find out that wasn't at all true. The police officer actually admitted that he made that whole story up. Right. And they, and they just decided it was him, right? The guy who had previously been an accessory to robbing a woman at a bus stop. So Clarence, what were you up to on the night before and into that morning? I was directly across the street from my home at a friend of mine's house. Uh, he ran a bootleg house where we go over there and buy beer and stuff. And we usually play cards over there every weekend. And I was playing cards for a few hours there until in the early morning. It looked like it was getting daybreak. And I told my hey man, I said, uh, if it'll be daybreak, I guess I'm going to get ready to go home. It had to be around about 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. And that's how I was walking over to my house and opening the door. And I seen a guy walking up the street, and I hollered at him. I said, hey, where uh, hey, you here, man? He said, uh, he said, going to the bus stop. I said, the bus stop. I said, hey, man, I said, uh, you got a couple hours for the bus run, man. I said, uh, it's the weekend. If you want to, man, you come over and stand up on the porch. He said, no. Nah. He said, I guess I'll go on a walk. I said, you better start running in, because it look like it's in the pole down ring. I went in the house. So next morning, my mom come in the room, wake me up and stuff, and asked me to go to the store for her. And as I walk him back from the store, I see a, a car that looked like a police car. And he stopped me. He said, hey, ain't you clean here? I said, yeah. He said, you live in that house right there? I said, yeah. He said, uh, did you see anyone go to that street last night? I said, I seen somebody go there this morning. He said, uh, do you know who he was? I said, no, nah, I don't know. I know he ain't from around here. I said, what's up? He said, a lady got robbed up there on Fifth Avenue. The victim last name was Duncan. I said, Duncan, now you got to be talking about Ken and Harold Duncan, them sisters. With them the only dunkers in the area, I know everybody in the area just like that. So he said, well, if you see the guy, let me know. I said, well, if I see the guy, I'll let Ken and Harold them know. And if they want to, they'll let you know like that. He said, so you ain't going to tell me? I said, oh, hey, man, I don't want to have no dealing with no police. I'm going to tell them and let them tell you. I said, that's their sister. 
It's okay. I see as man, you the police. You can do what you want to do, man. I said, I'm finna go on. And I walked on to the house. I got to the house. I told my sister, you know, what the police had said and were asking me. So she said, well, you better watch him because you know who that is. I said, yeah. I said, Dawson's like that. She said, yeah. And it turns out that this Dawson guy is the same cop who picked you up on that robbery back in 1978. Oi, oi, oi. So what happens next? A couple days later, come back to the house. I said, hey, uh, you seen that guy? Look, man, as I told you, man, if I see him lick Ken and Harry, them, no, you know, I said, I don't even know who that dude was. He don't live over here. He said, so you're not going to tell me? I said, man, I tell them. I ain't telling you nothing. He said, all right, I'm going to see. I said, all right. I just told you, man, you the police, do what you want to do. He left again. Next time he come back, he come back with a warrant. He said he had a, a warrant for my arrest for armed robbery. My sister said, can I see the warrant? He said, yeah. She looked at the warrant and said, this thing got rape, robbery, and kidnapping. I said, who, who do I put on rape and robbery just like that? And when I said that, my niece came out the room and said, Clan, who you know raise? I said, girl, quit being sick. I ain't raised nobody there like that. And my sister said, it got Duncan on. She said, I don't know the Duncan on. That's who they got to be talking about. So she said, I'm finna call her. So she called the victim and said, she asked the victim, did you say my uncle the one who's supposed to rape you? And she told the police, said, she said that she didn't say that he raped us. She said that it was somebody that looked like him. And when my niece told him that, he snatched the phone from her. When he snatched the phone from her, I snatched the phone from him and told him, don't snatch no phone from her. I said, man, you don't pay no bill. He said, I tell you what, you come and go with me. He snapped me and put handcuffs on me and took me to the police station. So you get taken away by the same guy who arrested you for the 1978 robbery, who you haven't been all that helpful to in this incident. And the probable cause that they used for the arrest warrant, we come to find out, was a totally made-up story about a confidential informant who told them about Clarence selling the victim's watch. It's too bad that it's 1986 and DNA testing is still at its fledgling stages because otherwise we may not that be having this conversation and you never would have been subjected to this misery at all. So is one of the theories that it may have been this guy that Clarence saw walking down the street at five or six in the morning? Well, that's one option. There are some other people that were in the neighborhood. It could have been. Unfortunately, when ultimately the DNA is tested, it doesn't tell us who the actual perpetrator was. Right. And as Clarence's niece heard over the phone from the victim that she said it looked like Clarence, not that it was Clarence. And this awful crime definitely happened to this poor woman. And this was definitely a stranger on stranger crime. The victim did not claim to have known the assailant, but she definitely knew Clarence. So what happens to turn this towards Clarence in the face of this overwhelming evidence of the contrary? They ended up getting an identification from the victim. Um, she said that she was absolutely certain it was Clarence Harrison. And from there, it snowballs. And we know that in the heat of the moment, victims of violent crimes, their perception is notoriously unreliable. Eyewitness misidentification, after all, is one of the main causes of wrongful convictions. But it's really super odd because the victim said she didn't know the assailant, but you knew her well. Well, her brother them testified that the victim knew me. So, but she said she didn't know the person who committed the crime. I've been to her house and she's been to my house before. You know? So we don't know what kind of tactics they used to make that turnaround come about. But whatever it was, it certainly feels like she was re-victimized. But a rape victim identifying you is pretty much all it takes. I mean, absent some sort of powerful exculpatory physical DNA evidence or something like that. And now 
comes the arraignment. And unfortunately, Clarence was poor, right? He didn't have the money to hire a lawyer who could jump on the case right away. After he was arraigned, the judge literally, there was a lawyer that was just there in the courthouse, and the judge appointed that lawyer the case. And the judge told him that he was assigned him to. He said, no, you're wrong. I got a full case load. I can't handle the case. He said, well, I'm assigning you to this case. And they were going back and forth. So eventually, the judge assigned the man to represent me. And as they were talking, the uh, police officer was, uh, was trying to tell how I become a suspect and all. He said the victim identified my photograph. He said, how did the victim identify a photograph? Prior to the victim identifying the photograph, he said, well, he went through hundreds of police records. He said, well, prior to that, how did the defender become a suspect? Then he said something about the defender had a past similar offense. And I told him, I said, well, in these kind of cases where y'all saying rapings and all this old stuff, don't y'all put have physical evidence and stuff like that there? I didn't do some type of testing thing. So George said, uh, so what you requesting, blood symptoms? I said, I'm requesting whatever testing you need to prove my own, because I ain't did nothing. So George said, well, uh, I'm going to recommend that you we do blood testing and set you a bone. I said, set who a bone? I said, I don't want no bone. I want y'all to let me go, because I ain't did nothing. But I didn't, I didn't mean to turn the bone down. I want him to know that I ain't done anything, you know. But he took that like I was denying the bone and stuff. So they, they denied me a bone. So... You've got a lawyer who's argued that he has a full caseload and doesn't even have the time to take your case on. Well, at least he was honest about it, but it didn't matter. Your trial happened only about three months later, so there was no chance for any real investigation to bolster your defense, and none was done. Well, you know, the sad part with my lawyer, because when I first come in, in the courtroom, I was showing the lawyer, the people in the courtroom who was at Benny House with us when we were playing card that could testify. And the lawyer told me, he said, well, his defense wasn't to prove my answer. His defense was to allow the state the opportunity to prove me guilty, you know. And I said, prove me guilty? I said, what are you going to prove me guilty for when you going to prove I ain't do it? He said, he didn't do an investigation to prove my answer. His investigation was to allow the state the opportunity to prove me guilty. Wow. That's... So that's why the number of the people who were at the card game were called, other than the one the state called it. The state also called the victim's brothers who confirmed that the assailant was supposed to have been a stranger and that you were not a stranger. Then you had the serological testing, which really your only hope there is that the actual perpetrator has a different blood type from you and the victim. But in this case, the serology expert testified some misleading nonsense that he was able to exclude like 12% of people and Clarence could not be excluded, which sounds like something. But if you just take a second and rewind this, you'll realize that it simply means that Clarence was one person in 88% of the male population who could not be excluded, right? So basically, almost everybody could not be excluded. It's a ridiculous statement, but it was effective. I'm not sure how much difference it would have made, though, with the victim having identified him. The jury had a witness that took the stand and said, that is absolutely him. And we had evidence that said, yeah, he could have been. He was in that 88% of the population. He wasn't excluded there. And that was enough for the jury. Clarence, how long did the jury deliberate? And what was going through your mind? Now we're up, this is March 18th, 1987. I think it was less than two hours, but I was believing in the system at the time. I really believed that the system worked and that 
it was impossible for them to find me guilty. It wasn't about two hours they called me back upstairs. When I got up there, they said they found me guilty. They didn't do it. I'm sending you to life plus 20 plus 20. But I'm standing around. I'm looking for this hero to come and correct this error, you know, because somebody always come and correct when they do wrong like this. You know? But then I turned around. When I looked back, I saw my mom crying. And when I see my mother crying, I realized these folks don't took my life away. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Well, when I first entered in the prison system, I got a letter from some uh, intern from Century Ministry. They thought I was a classic case of wrongfully conviction. So they told me, well, there's a new study being done called DNA. And they suggested that I tell my attorney to request to have all the evidence in my case preserved and saved for future DNA testing. Well, my attorney wrote me back and said that the District Attorney said that all the evidence in my case been removed and destroyed. Yeah, we've heard that one before, but okay, for the time being, what else were you up to? But prior to that, I had been trying to work on my own case, reading my trying, going back and forth with my transcript, trying to read and stuff. One day I seen a guy working on another guy's case, and I asked him what he was doing. They told me he was a chain gang lawyer, so he was pretty good. His name was Robert Burson. The guy was very good with uh, briefs and habeas corpus. And they asked him to look at mine. He told me if I help him, I told him, yeah. So he had me a transcript and told him, I said, hey, man, I said, hold up, man. I can't read that good. Now you want me to read this song? He said, I tell you what, then if you go back to school up there and learn how to read and stuff, I'm going to help you get out. Just like that. I said, ain't no problem, dude. So I requested to have my counsel put me back in school. It wasn't that I couldn't read. It just that I never exercised because after I got back in school, I ended up getting my GED in nine months. I got into a college program. But during that time I was in college, I started helping him out and stuff. And he told me about paralegal course that I could take through the mail. And I was reading over the transcript, going through the books and stuff, working on my case. After all this, I learned how to shepherd our case and stuff like the guy worked on writing briefs and stuff. And from that point on, 
I got doggone learn how to try to get out. Well, that didn't help. All I know, my mother passed. When my mother passed, the DNA been denied, I gave up. So I accept that I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison, you know. Clarence, my understanding is that you found hope in a very unexpected and sort of serendipitous way, right? Which was when another prisoner was talking to his girlfriend and handed you the phone. And this was when you were really in a dark place, as you described, right? And on the phone was the girlfriend's mother, whose name was Yvonne Zellers. I would love if you could just share a little bit about that. Yes. Uh, I started putting down poker games in the dormitory stuff. You know, guys play poker and stuff. One of the guys, he said, man, so how about hollering at my, my mother-in-law, man? She's trying to join with me. I said, hey, man, I said, ain't you know I don't meet with the most so-called free world folks like that. He handed me the phone thing. I get on, and I stole. I said, what's up, little lady? I said, what's your problem? She said, what's your problem? And I started teasing with her, having fun, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm talking, and she said, man, you crazy, man. I said, I ain't crazy. You crazy, you know. I tell you what, she said, what's your EM number? What you want my EM number? I'm going to write you. You ain't going to write me. Well, she started sending me these Bible scriptures. And she was coming to visit and stuff. She was witnessing to me. She wasn't trying to date me or anything like that, but she was trying to witness to me with Bible scripture. And one day I was sitting up playing poker and stuff, and they had put a new dude in my room. He was a Christian. I always reading the Bible in the room stuff, and I'd be gambling every day. So one day I asked him what she could send me, them scriptures she wants you to reply back to. I said, how you going to reply back to this? He said, you got to read the Bible. I, said, I knew it was a trick somewhere. You know, so I, I had to do, I said, how do you reply to your thing? He told me how to do and things. So I started reading a little Bible script and writing. All of a sudden, she come and visit me and tell me about the new program they got called the George Anderson Project. She said, matter of fact, what you in for? By sending them a transcript. That's me who they talking about. They saying I both did it. It don't say you did it. They say the lady said it or somebody else, but they don't say who did it. I said, I know, but they trying to say I did that. She said, man, you know what? I'm going to get you a lawyer. I said, now you're superwoman. You already got two jobs. Always talking about your beer thing. Now you want to get a, 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 another job for me? And sure enough, she got a third job washing dishes. And she had the lawyer. And I told him I wanted him to find the DNA evidence in my case. He went on and went looking for it. He said, well, there was no evidence of that. Evidence being destroyed. And if there was no record, the evidence exists. Well, Lawyer kept looking for it. That's when I wrote the George Ellison Project. And when they found the evidence, it was a whole new ball game, you know? Yep, a whole new ball game it was. So I think it's safe to say that Yvonne was able to rekindle your hope and restore your faith and focus on freedom. And Amy, the Georgia Innocence Project was brand new at that time, right? So tell us about taking Clarence's case and what it took to get him out. Clarence was the 21st letter we uh, received. So he wrote us very, very, very early into getting it started. And every one of his letters was compelling from the beginning. He wrote very specific, very detailed information explaining, you know, like, this is what they said. This is what was real. This is where I was. This is, and then he started sending us bus schedules that he had gotten, diagrams of the scenes. I mean, this man clearly was 
trying to figure out how he ended up in prison. So we, we started looking at the case and it's, it was a really odd case. And at many, many points, we could have just said no. Like he had had an appeal. He had had DNA testing done. But it was weird because they said they could not test the evidence because of the way the slide had been stained. And that made no sense to us. And we asked experts and they're like, uh, that's not a thing. You know, we've been staining slides the same way since we started staining slides. It doesn't prevent testing. So we're like, okay. And then the district attorney had reported that the evidence had been destroyed, that it was gone. But there were things that bothered us and we knew that there was the potential. Just because you say you destroyed it, you got to prove to me you've destroyed it, right? You got to have a piece of paper. Show me you've destroyed it. So we just kept on and kept on. And one afternoon, I sent an intern, Laura Verducci. I'll never forget Laura. She went to the DA's office and I said, just go look and see, you know, what kind of documents they have, you know, just go through their file. And I get a call from her. She says, Amy, there is a brown paper bag in here and it's marked evidence. She goes, I can't really feel, and I'm not trying to do anything, but it feels like, you know, there may be slides and things in here. And I'm like, this was my very first case, right? So I'm thinking, oh my God, they're going to try to hide this because they've already said it was destroyed. They're going to destroy it. What am I going to do? So I said, just put the lid on, don't say anything and get back over here quick. So she did, and we immediately typed up the motion to have it tested, and at that point, the DA realized, oh my gosh, we really do have the evidence, and they did not oppose testing. We sent it to a private lab, and after they they did their testing, the order said that the lab was supposed to tell both parties. And the head of the lab thought that meant he had to tell us both at the same time. So he called me and he said, I think you need to go to the DA's office. I've got the test results. And I'm like, well, tell me what they are. He goes, no, I have to tell you both at the same time. I'm like, oh my gosh, tell me right now. What is it? He goes, Amy, I would hurry to the DA's office. Mm. I'm like, okay, I'm on my way. So we called the DA and, you know, he had his people in the office with us and we get on the phone and the doctor said, yeah, uh, Clarence Harrison is absolutely excluded. And I looked over and the DA's face just dropped. And I think that never, ever, ever, ever did he think this could happen. And he asked a thousand questions. And of course, you know, there's, it's, it's clear the DNA is not Clarence's. So this was a Tuesday and I said, I'm going to do a press conference on Friday. Y'all, y'all decide what you want to do. So I get back and I don't know what's going to happen. Right. So I called the folks up in New York at the Innocence Project and I said, how long is it going to take me to get him out of prison? And Clarence was the 151st DNA exonerate. And they said, it's going to take you anywhere between six months and two years. And I thought, right. All right, fine. And so we uh, went down and told Clarence and I warned him it was going to take a very long time to get him out of prison. And uh, it did not. And Amy, your excitement about the resorts. You ruined it for me, Clarence. You ruined it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, so he ruined it? Almost seems like something that couldn't be ruined. How, yeah. how did he ruin it? Well, that's because Clarence ruined my big moment. Um, so we actually convinced the Department of Corrections to let us take a video camera. So we go down and we're meeting in this lovely conference room. And I said, Clarence, we got the test results back. And he goes, okay. And mind you, the video cameras go in the whole time. He's like, okay. And I'm like, are you ready to hear the results? And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, it, it, it absolutely excludes you. It, it, and he goes, okay. No, no reaction, nothing. I'm like, Clarence, do you understand? It, it proves that you're innocent. He goes, okay. And I'm like, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, did I miss that he might be like, <laughs> you know, not intellectually, you know, uh, there might be some problems. I'm like, does he understand me? And I say, Clarence, do you understand? He goes, Amy, he goes, that test was for you. I've always known I was innocent. So I have the world's most boring video of telling Clarence he's innocent. Yeah, because- I was happy. I was happy for you, you know, and I was happy that now somebody knew that I hadn't committed. You know, just that alone was enough for me. And you were just cool as a cucumber, even though you were getting the yeah. best. I mean, other than maybe the birth of your kids, this had to be the best news you'd ever gotten in your life. Yeah, and the warden let me go back to my cell when I got back to the dorm. And I told dude, hey, y'all. I'm finna leave y'all now. I told y'all them folks don't prove they ain't commit the crime. The whole dorm lit up and just started celebrating stuff. We had a little party in the dormitory, you know. All the guys were happy for me and stuff, you know. But uh, I thought I was going to wait six months or two years and thing. But on that Friday, they called me and told me I had to go down to the court. I was scared to brace off me because... I didn't know what to expect on the outside world. I didn't have no time. Ain't nobody telling me I'm finna get out in no three days. I don't even know where I'm gonna live or sleep. That Thursday, without telling me, the district attorney's office arranged to have Clarence brought back to DeKalb County. So on Friday, when we had our press conference, the district attorney's office stood next to me and said, yes, this is an innocent man. We're going to get him out of prison. Everything happened so very fast. So within seven days, Clarence was out of prison. What an amazing thing. And for such a guy as, as Clarence, it's really, um, it's, it's just awesome. And it's, it's why we do this work. Let's face it. The victories are few and far between. And we know we're in for a disappointment after disappointment and the system is stacked against us. But when we win, man, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible, incredible feeling. Um, and then there, then this takes a romantic twist, right? Yep. When I got out, Stand on that courtroom when they released me from, from jail. And I'm standing up there with all the report. They asked me what type of meal and stuff I want. And I told them. I wanted me a full uh, collard green, cornbread, fried chicken, macaron, cheese, taste out. I, I would name it at all. I wanted it too. And uh, they asked me something. I said, well, I said, first of all, I got to find me a job because I don't even know where I'm going to sleep at. And I hope if I find me a job, it paid me enough so I can marry a little later right here. So I started picking at her. But I was just teasing with her because we never talked for us, no relationship. She was always there witnessing to me. So I said, I said, hopefully I'll make enough money I can buy this little pretty little lady on ring and she'll hopefully she'll marry me. Well, sure enough, the Republic heard that. Man, we got all kind of we got the wind dress, the rings. Atlanta came through for you and donated everything. 17 days after I released, I was married. 
<laughs> you were, huh? And you're still married, aren't you? Still married. Incredible. Been married amazing. 17 years. I was locked up 17 years, and now I've been married 17 years. with her. locked back up with him again. <laughs> I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Clarence, you didn't just stop with being declared innocent. You sought for the state to make things right. Well, my intention was I want I wanted to file a lawsuit for my wrongful imprisonment. I, I hired these lawyers, and I wanted to find out how I got involved in the case because I was told that you know I'm going to try to prove my innocence, you know, before you can file any type of lawsuit. That it was deliberate and intentionally. I said, well, yeah, with delivering teacher, how they going to implicate me? The only way it had to be delivered because, you know, I wasn't at the scene. So I, the lawyer said, got to get the victim to admit that it was a mistake in that damn case. I said, well, 90% of the case thing where a victim identifies somebody, they're not going to go back on their work because they don't live with that just as long as I don't live with being falsely accused. So that ain't going to help. I said, but. I want the officers. I really believe this man delivering attention to made me that suspect. And I was telling Bill Mitchell, who was my attorney, and I was telling him, I said, this man, he's the one who responds for me being in. He said, well, not hardly with a police officer going to be any help. I said, well, he's a police officer. And one thing about a police officer, they are arrogant. They think they can't be church. He said, what you mean? I said, because he's arrogant enough and he's going to admit and say he did it. He might tell you with an attitude, but he arrogant enough to do it. He you think so? I said, I know so. And sure enough, he did it. See, there was no unidentified person. See, he done that because I had a smart mouth. Because you had a smart mouth, right? And you end up in prison all those years for basically talking back. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yep. But see, the theory of that by me having a smart mouth, that whole because when you came behind me, you already knew who I was, knew where I lived and everything. So you came looking for me that very morning. So he already had no made me a suspect because I had a prior offense for raw female at a bus stop and this victim got raped at a bus stop. 
And he was the police officer who arrested me back then. So he figured I was locked up for that, that I had committed this crime. And he was going to make me be that person. Right. He had a beef with you since 1978 in a crime where you were an unwilling accessory to a robbery. So he was already barking up your tree before you ever even talked back to him on that fateful morning of October 25th, 1986. So your presence in the photo lineup and everything that followed was all this one police officer wanting desperately to send a convicted felon back to prison. And he did for almost 18 long years. So you ultimately received compensation in 2009, although nothing would ever repay what this guy stole from you. And it was only a million dollars for lost wages, much of which is gone by now. So from what I understand, you've been advocating for exonerees to receive Social Security with Senator Ossoff, right? Incredible. We're trying to get a bill for Social Security because when guys get out and stuff, I tell you, every guy in that prison, when you go through things in there, you help the bad and everything. Them guys ain't in no shape to be coming up and trying to work and put no 15, 20 years in, getting no retirement. They won't be able to, you know, because their body broke down. And, uh, but they can't get their pension and thing because during those years, Social Security have a zero there of income ain't being put in there. And which that should be replaced because every inmate that's in the prison system works. It's called details. If you don't have a detail and go out to your detail, you'll put in the hole. You'll punish for not working. So I'm unable to get Social Security. I can't get my retirement. Y'all stole my youth, and now you don't want to compensate me for my oldie. You know, it messed up. It definitely is, you know, and you got me thinking. I'd imagine that you could fix the Social Security issue through legislation, but if they just ended the loophole in the 13th Amendment that still allows for the enslavement of men and women who are convicted of a crime— well, then they'd have to pay you for your work as well as contribute to Social Security, right? It'd be two problems solved at once. That You hit red right on the mind. That would have was slave labor for the slave labor. Right. You can definitely argue that an exoneree like yourself deserves to be taken care of through retirement for the rest of your life as your ability to earn and pay into Social Security was, told, I mean, was wrongfully stolen away through no fault of your own. But ultimately... The question comes down to, does the United States still support this sort of secret form of slavery or not? It's disgusting that we're still benefiting off of free labor. Corporations are, and in some cases, taxpayers are, especially considering the origins of it all. So I'm glad you have Senator Ossoff's support. So we'll be on the lookout for developments there. In the meantime, the Georgia Innocence Project has a support fund set up for exonerees. So if our listeners would like to help men and women like Clarence, we're going to have that linked in the bio. And so please do go to the bio now. Don't don't wait because, you, you know, we all get distracted and send some support for some exonerees, even if it's five bucks or five million bucks, whatever you got, just I mean, it's hard to think of a better cause. And now we turn to closing arguments, where first of all, I thank both of you for being here and sharing this remarkable story. And then, of course, I'm going to just shut my microphone off, keep my headphones on, and listen carefully to anything else you feel is left to be said. So, Amy, let's start with you. And Clarence, please take us off into the sunset. I think that Clarence Harrison taught me to never give up. 
even though he went through dark times, he never gave up. And he always, always, always tries to give back. He's always great to the new exonerees. He loves to talk to kids to try to tell them, don't go down a path that's going to lead you to being where I was. And he's always an inspiration. But I think the, the overriding thing with Clarence is never, ever give up. Um. That's true. I do enjoy uh, speaking to kids thing and try to encourage them, you know, stay on the right path and stay away from that uh, prison, that revolving door is what I called it, you know, which for young people, you know. My main thing is now focus on this uh, trying to uh, get some bills passed for other exoneries, for those who's incarcerated, wrongly in prison, that they won't have to go through the struggle that I had to go through while I'm out, you know. I want them to have some type of conversation. I definitely want to try to make sure that this social security issue is resolved. We need help and we don't have it. That's my thing and that's what I'm working on now. I want to stay with it but I've been fighting for justice ever since I've been out because if it wasn't for them interns being there to help try to get me out I wouldn't be out. So I want to try to be there when them guys get out and them in turn get them out. I want to be there with them try to help them you know transition back into society because it was a salary that helped me transition to Kevin Johnson, my wife, and Amy, because I put a lot of leaning on them. You know, if it wasn't for Amy and my wife, I probably would have struggled harder than I was struggling. I'm still with the Emerson Project, 17 going on 18 years now. I'm still fighting the call, you know. The Emerson Project got more peoples out, you know. And we thank you, Amy, for all the support you gave us in making what it is today. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis, with research by Lila Robinson. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both TikTok and Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.